The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. everybody. Have you heard of Instacart? If you have not heard of Instacart, I don't know where you have been living because it saved my life. I don't have to go to the grocery store. I can get my stuff delivered to my house. And if you go to judgingmegan.com forward slash Instacart, you will get $35 off of your first order if you've never ordered before. So I would say get on there right now and skip your trip to the grocery store. Hello, everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about a little thing called the Prolon Cleanse. Um, I have never in my life ever experienced such hunger. I'm not on it right now, but I just want to tell you that I was talking to my friend Mitzi earlier today and I was just like, oh my God, I need to go on a cleanse. I just feel so gross. I've been drinking too much. I've been just... I just feel gross. And she's like, so I am going on this cleanse. It is 21 days. All you eat is vegetables. It's all raw. So then I was flashing back to doing this cleanse called Prolon. And I'm going to bring my guest in right now. Her name is Nikki Deloach. Hi, Nikki. Hi. (laughs) Have you ever done 
the Prolon cleanse? I have not. Now, okay. I have heard of the Prolon, the, the group and the people because um, a really good friend of mine who is the founder of Mind What Matters, which is a nonprofit mm-hmm. that I happen to be on the board of, she yes. speaks so highly of it. So I've been in touch with the owner of Prolon to like have a conversation with him about the effects of what they're doing and how it affects the brain when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia. But I yes, have not we'll talk about I have not done it. I'm not a cleanse person. Okay. Got it. Well I'm also not really into a cleanse unless I'm like I'm forced to do it because I can't take it anymore. But I will tell you, I did do it and I'm and I'm I'm mulling over doing it again. But the funny part about it is, is you, you eat food on it, right? But you, it's very limited food. And like you said, it's supposed to be really good for your brain, for your body. And you do, you have to do it like three times. I only have done it once and I did it like probably eight months ago. And I was laughing this morning because I was like so hungry on it on day, I think two, that they give you these little olive packets for like the, you know, the like sodium and stuff. And so by day two, I was like, I know I'm going to be really hungry by tonight. So I'm going to save the olive juice. So I ate the olive. (laughs) I ate the olives. And then like at night I was like, oh my God, there's still some precious olive juice left. And I like pulled out this old wrapper of olives and I started drinking the juice. (laughs) So I'm not, I'm not really, I don't have great self-control, but what I will say is it was a great cleanse. I did follow it. I did feel great. But then the problem is the minute that you go off of it, unless you're really disciplined, you have to, you really have to do it more than once. And I drank like a bottle of Chardonnay the day I went off of it. So I (laughs) ruined the entire thing. Anyways. um, Megan, I don't think you ruined it. I really don't. Um, I think that's the thing with me and Clint is like, I'm, I'm down to, I, I, I can't wait to talk to Michael at Prolong and have a conversation about it because I think for me with cleanses, it's, they've just, they've always been in opposition to what my body needs, which was, is real high fat. And, mm-hmm. you know, I need, which is what we know in terms of the research of healthy brain, we need fat going to a low cow you know, diet, which we did through, I think it was the nineties when we started doing yes, this, when like, we used to eat pulling all the, wells. Yeah, pulling yeah. all the fat yeah. out of everything and the chips and then that. And then I forget what those bags of chips were that had like no fat, but it made you like have diarrhea for like 12 hours after you. Oh ate. God. So the like, Alestra, the Alestra, that chemical. Right. Yes. So yes. all of that stuff actually was so detrimental to our brain health. And so for me, I want to talk to him about the science of what they're doing because everything that I've learned is it's like high fat Mediterranean diet, feeding that brain in that way. So, um, but I am a learner, like by nature, I think the thing that I'm, I'm so curious about so much and I'm always, the more I learn, the more I know, I don't know. So I'm always down to learn and have those conversations and try, but like, for me, like being hungry is like, I, I hate that feeling so much. So I'm so I know. sorry. I, I do. I do too. But um, 
It was more like a funny thing, but I will tell you really quickly, and then I'm going to introduce you because I haven't even introduced you yet, but I can already tell we're going to hit it off. So Dr. Glenn Schiraldi was on my podcast and he's a very famous um, psychologist and um, and professor who taught at University of Maryland. And he's written like a million books about depression and mm. anxiety and his whole um one of the things he was telling me, he was on a couple, like maybe last month, was how important the Mediterranean diet is for anti-inflammatory for our brains and our mental health. So I think it's, I think that's so interesting that you brought that up because it's so true, right? So true. Well, the omegas, the high in omegas that you get from that diet also regulate your body. I mean, you know, my oldest son had vestibular and proprioceptor issues. He still does. And we're working through it. He's an OT and all of that. But like, he has to take, you know, double the amount of omegas because those, they help him to regulate his body, which really is regulating the brain. Um, so it's fascinating. And what a how lucky are we that we are living in a day and age where we are starting to learn all of this information and can do things to help our bodies and help our brains. I just think it's so cool. I agree. Well, can I really quickly, like, instead of, because we could go on for four hours, I can already tell, but I need to introduce you because sure. I'm sure my audience, like, by the way, I love a good Hallmark movie. <laughs> Who doesn't, especially and a, a, a Christmas Hallmark movie Aww. with a bottle of Chardonnay. I sound like I'm a really bad drinker, but I do love, I love my buttery Chardonnay. I talk mm. about it all the time, mm. but I do want to introduce Nikki Deloach, who I already brought in. She really makes me feel bad because um, her resume is not impressive at all. She <laughs> is an actress, a writer, a blogger, a mom, a producer. She is a, this is the best. I'm sorry if you're at, of my age group, but a former Mickey Mouse clubhouse kid. So we're <laughs> going to have to talk about that. And also a spokesperson for the Alzheimer's Association. And I mean, what else? What do you not do? Do you, or do you also know how to tap? Do you do jazz? Do you yes. like 20 something years play, as a dancer? Do you juggle? I I do not juggle, but 20 something Mm -hmm. years as a dancer, there's a lot of things I don't do well. I'm not, um, I, I I don't uh, shop well. I'm not great with fashion. Um, I'm not great with design. Like if you show me something, I can go, Oh, that looks nice. Or I like that. But like, if it comes to like putting actual clothes on my body and me choosing them, it's a disaster. Like I, I, I've never been into it. I, there's so, so many more ways I'd rather spend my time. And also I just don't have the talent. I really don't. Um, so there's a lot of things I don't do well. <laughs> I know, but, but the things that you do do well, I mean, does fashion really matter because I love fashion and I love putting outfits together, but I can't, I don't do any of those amazing, amazing things that you do. Um, <laughs> But I love too that we have a few friends in common, and I want to give a shout out to my to my dear dear friend Stephen Bowman, Aww, who Bowman. you also know. Bowman's been on the podcast, by the way. He should I be on him. every podcast because he's endlessly I mean, he, entertaining. He's hysteric. There's nobody funnier on the planet than I know. Bowman, right? Yeah, yes. except so, maybe his other best friend Desi Lydic. So uh, you know, well, the two of them yeah. together. I mean, come on. 
Yeah, I, I've never met her in person, but um, she does. She has listened to my podcast and she I just I've been on like a Zoom call for Stephen's birthday and she was on it. And then I've obviously watched her on the Daily on the Show and show. she's hyster- she's hysterical. She's and, amazing. Oh God. Amazing. I know. So the two of them together, I've had the 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 gift of being, you know, in a room with yeah. both of them at the same time many times. And it's just like, oh, it's so endlessly entertaining. So yeah, shout yeah. out to Bowman. Shout out. Um, but let's start with I'm gonna start with like where you're from. Just give like a brief um background on like where you're from, and then I wanna get into some of this stuff. Like my podcast is really about trauma and overcoming obstacles in life. And I know you've been through quite a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we already touched on um, Alzheimer's and how you were, we can talk about how you were personally affected by it. My two of my best friends from growing up both lost their fathers very young, mm-hmm. like with Kara, one of my best friends lost her father in his late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think very early seventies. So he was early onset. So I, I'm very impressed by all the things you do with, with that. And then just how you have this, uh, fugitive safe surrender program. So I really want to touch on that, but I want to start from the beginning, like where you grew up, where you're from, how you got into the Mickey Mouse club, which was like my dream. And do you know, Justin Timberlake? Let's start there. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I, I, I really am so sorry to hear that about your friends. Um, that's, it's so tough. My dad was 66 when he passed. Um, okay. Uh, so that's, sorry. Thank you. Um, he passed on July 27th. So it was very recent and he was 66. Mm-hmm. So I know, um, I know the trauma of, you know, the pain, I know the pain and the trauma of losing a parent who uh, way too early. And, um, especially to that disease, which is just, it's one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. So my heart goes out to them. Um, I was born in Blackshire, Georgia, and, um, it's a really small town about 40 minutes North of the Florida line, real, real, real country, real South. Um, everybody knows everyone. I mean, it, 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 like when I say that, I mean, like when I got married, I think every single one of my teachers I ever had in my life were at my wedding, like my kindergarten teacher, my first grade teacher, my third grade teacher, my, like and all of them. Um, because it's just that's that, amazing. It's amazing. I'm still yeah. friends with my friends that I went to preschool with. Um, you know, it's one of we always say there's something about this place whenever I'm home, and it's so true. You know, every place comes with its own positives and negatives, right? I love Los Angeles, right? I love Los Angeles, but the traffic's crazy and the taxes are high, and there's all these things. But and and I there that exists in every place that you're ever in. But I will say for me, the it was such a cool, wonderful childhood because I really. I, I, there were, you know, like out here, I could never raise my kids that way. My parents didn't know how I got home from school half the time. Somebody brought me home, you know, and I would walk home from basketball practice or I would leave the house and be gone until dark. And they just knew I was somewhere around the neighborhood, but they didn't know where, you know, I was out exploring in the woods. I was very much a tomboy and, and that kind of freedom and independence 
you know, I want my kids to have that. And it's really difficult to imagine them having that kind of life here in Los Angeles. And maybe you can't have that anywhere anymore. I don't know. But I had that. And it was so beautiful. And I also think the cool thing about being raised by an entire community, which is the way that it used to be, right? If you think about Mm -hmm. decades and decades ago or centuries ago, you were raised by a village, you were raised by a community. And the thing that it taught me was how to love a lot of different people and how to be loved by a lot of different people. And I think that that was one of the coolest takeaways from my experience of like legit being raised by a village. And um, from the time- I love that. I love that. Sorry to talk over you, but it is true. I mean, I grew up in Potomac, Maryland, which is outside of DC, not like a small town, but I do remember like, I'm old, I think I'm older than you, but just like opening the garage and just my mom would be like, bye, come home at dark. Yeah. And like when it's done, we would go out and we play like kick the can in our court. And, and, and I do, and I do feel like my kids are, I have two little girls. I feel like they're gypped because mm-hmm. they don't have that. And we don't, mm-hmm. we also don't have the kind of like relationships where it's like, you know, my mom would like leave me with my neighbors and uh, everyone on our court. We were all best friends. And it's just, I do feel like our kids are gypped. We don't have that anymore. And I do, I even think I wouldn't feel comfortable even if I was in a small town with my kids now, just with all the scary things going on in the world. I don't know, but, yeah, but I had to pipe in there. No, I'm so glad you did. It's really hard. It's really hard you know, to imagine that because of all that we know now because of Mm -hmm. media, right? Now we know all of these things that happen, all the bad things that happen all across the country. And also, you know, there's a lot of incredible things that happen across the country, a lot of really incredible human beings. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's finding that balance. And for me, you know, I have managed to find a village out here in LA, which is so cool. I mean, we don't all live on one street or cul-de-sac together, but I have a village of friends that, you know, one of my friends right now, her baby is at um, Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. And um, for the last like three weeks, we have organized food deliveries and juice deliveries and, you know, all of that stuff. And it's a, it's a, a chain of like 20 something women that are on this text chain that we're all working together to be able to support them. So you can find it. You just have to build it and you have to, yeah. you know, nourish it and you have to lean in. And I think it's super important for our kids to, you know, know that they can be loved by a lot of different people and that there is a village that's supporting them. Um, So I, and to pivot into how I got on Mickey Mouse Club, I, you know, from the, as young as I can remember, I was telling stories, performing. It was like, I think some kids or some people find what they want to do later in life. I was born just doing what I wanted to do. I got into dance when I was three years old. By the time I could read and write, I was writing my own stories and writing characters and handing it out to all the kids in the neighborhood and directing them in a production or a play in my backyard. Um, 
I mean, I was doing this in a small town where my mother was an educator. My dad worked in timber and trucking. I wasn't around it at all. And so I always say that like God put this on my heart or God put this in me, right? Um, And at the really tough times in my career where there was nothing happening or it was just like, you know, I've had that career where I have, I've had a normal actor's career. Yeah. Where there's been really incredible years and then there's been really dry years. But in those moments where it was really dry, you know, the thing that I remembered is like, you know, God put this in me. He put this in my heart and, you know, for a purpose and for a reason and trust that. And so I, for as long as I've known, and then, um, I went from doing that to like, you know, it's the South. So my mom and grandmother wanted to put me in pageants. I hated them, but I did <laughs> like the ones cause I basically didn't want to wear dresses and get my hair done. I know. I find it so funny though. Cause you said you were a tomboy. So just so you know, I also like from the age of two, I had a stage name. Um, her, my name was Joanne. My parents were like, what, who is this person? Like I grew up doing theater and dance and all that stuff. Like you, you just kind of come out that way, but I was not a tomboy. Like my joke is, and ever, and I say it all the time on the podcast that I'm a gay man trapped in a woman's body. Oh, I love it. So like a gay, but I'm a gay Jewish man and I'm not even Jewish. Like I don't understand it. Like I'm always like, I don't know. I just, that's who I connect with. And, um, so yeah, I just believe like you that we come out that way and, and being able to perform like you did and do plays and all that stuff. It's I'm, I consider it like such a gift because I was like that too. And my, my seven-year-old God, like God bless her heart. I'm so scared for her, but she's exactly like I was Oh, and doing the plays and singing. And she just came out exactly the same way. So <sighs> I love people, that. I know people have asked me like, would you let your kids go into it? And it's like, it depends on a lot of things. Mm. One of the things is if that kid comes out, like I came out, there's no, yeah. deep, like, there was no stopping me. Like I literally left home at 12 to go do Mickey Mouse club. And there was no stopping me from doing what I was going to do if I had to like emancipate from my parents and go do it. So like, if you have a child that's like, like how I was, you kind of have to just make the choice to be supportive because (laughs) they're going to do it. We we go through that with, so my husband, Ron has been a working actor like you since he was a kid, same thing, like horrible years, good years. Like it's such a, it's such a hard, hard, hard business. It is. And Ella is like, she wants to do all that stuff. And we're like, no, no, no. Like, we don't want you to do it. Like you have to be older. Cause we've both seen what the business can do. And, yeah. um, but like you said, like, if you're determined to do something like you were, nothing's going to stop you when you have that bug. Right. Mm -mm, And it sounds like you had it. And then how did you get the actual, like, so you must've had an agent and you were auditioning and all that stuff from Georgia. And then how did you get the Mickey Mouse club? Well, you know, the lucky thing about the pageants is that the ones that I liked to do had a talent competition to them. So Uh which I wanted to sing and dance. And so that was like the highlight of, you know, of the whole thing for me. And I ended up winning this talent competition that took me to Los Angeles, a free trip to Los Angeles. And, um, now that I, you know, look back on it, it was definitely one of those, like there was 20, 25 different agents that came and watched and, 
by the end of that talent competition here in Los Angeles, I was 11 at the time. Um, you know, we met with, they basically put your name on a list if they want to meet with you. So we met with a whole bunch of agents that said, you know, she needs to come to LA and she would work all the time. And my mother was like, I am not moving. <laughs> My yeah, California. And so one of the agents happened to say, well, if you have an agent in the South, which I did, uh, have her look out for the Mickey Mouse Club because they're going to be casting new members of the club. And your daughter would be perfect for something like that. And um, so I told my Jacksonville agent, Denise Carroll, and she, and sure enough, an agent, an audition came through in Jacksonville for it. And it really was like that, that quintessential casting call, cattle call with like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people all waiting in giant rooms and you go in and, and then I got a call back, which was in Atlanta. And then after the Atlanta call back, I, we did this casting camp in Orlando with uh, 24 kids and out of the 24, they picked seven. I still, Megan, to be perfectly honest, I still, it's such a God thing that I got cast in that. I mean, because when I look at like the talent of Christina Aguilera, it's like, it's just a no brainer. That child or that woman now, but she's mm. saying just like that at 12 years old. She sounded just like that. This, and she was so tiny. She was a tiny little human. And this voice came out of her and I was like, that makes sense how she would get on the Mickey Mouse Club. But I like—I didn't have a Christina Aguilera voice. You know, I could definitely carry a tune. Um, I was a great dancer. And um, I was actually really good with the acting stuff, right? But, you know, looking at those kids, it was just, it's still so unimaginable that I got like plucked out of the the thousands upon thousands of kids that auditioned for that. And you can only... In my opinion, it's like, yes, you have to have talent, but that is so lucky. It's just so, it's just luck. And um, Matt Casella was the casting director. And I think that, you know, they were looking for certain kids. They were not just looking for kids with talent. They were looking for kids that could fit in with a, with a bunch of kids. I mean, there were 21 of us on that show when the seven of us youngins got, you know, cast there ended, there was 21 kids. So we, we also had to be kids that could get along with other kids. And I think that's where my strong suit was. Sorry. It's like casting in general though. If you were like, you can't have like all the same types, right? You want to have like a mixture of different True. talents and personalities. And um, if everybody was the same, just like in life, Right. Boring. I mean, so you were like needed for that little piece of the puzzle or the puzzle wouldn't be complete. Well, I'm just so glad because it was some of the best years of my life. And I'm so grateful. I mean, talk about it was kind of like going to Juilliard for kids, uh, but on steroids, because, you know, we were doing things that if you wanted to have a career in entertainment, you learned everything. So you learned sketch comedy, you learned uh, how to put on a live performance, you recorded songs in a booth, you did music videos, you did like the, we, the breath of what we covered on that show is like going to a school that you, you can't, you know, a dream school for kids who want to be in entertainment. And also yeah. for me, it was like, also the first time I was really around a group of kids that were just like me, that 
we're obsessed with performing and telling stories and being artists and being creative and being silly and really goofy and super weird, you know, um, in the South, sometimes weird is not celebrated. And I was definitely a weird kid in that way. And I finally, you know, found my people when not that the people that I grew up with weren't my people, but the part of me that lived in the world of creativity I was like, whoa, this is a whole group of kids that are exactly like me. How fun. Um, so it, it was. And then, and then did they, did they, um, you were on it with like Justin. I mean, it's crazy to me how many of the cast members ended up having real like big careers. So like, it must've been an amazing training ground that would be like a Saturday Night Live, but for kids, right? That's what I call it. Yeah. So many of the Saturday Night Live. People, you know, were so shocked when Justin was on Saturday Night Live and they were like, he was amazing. He was so good. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not shocked at all. That's exactly what we did on the Mickey Mouse Club. Mickey Mouse Club was SNL, but for kids. And I remember watching it. Yeah. Right. And he was, he was spectacular on it, but that's what we did. We did silly sketches and, you know, all of that stuff. So it, 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 he was primed for an SNL um, appearance and he knocked it out of the park. And then did you, so you were on for how many seasons? We were on for the last couple of seasons, the seven of us. And then they had um, a changing of guards at the real, at the top, top for Disney. And it was really, it's one of those things where I always look at. Was that hard on you as a kid? Because that's like your first, yeah, that's like the thing. It's like your first you're so happy. You're with all these kids that are just like you. I hear you. I was like a little theater performer as a kid and my sisters were athletes and my breath. So you're always like, I, I love them, but I'm different. There's something. And then when you actually do like your first, like I did a ton of theater as a kid, your first like performance, you're like, Oh my God, there's other people like me. Yeah. And then the, the letdown of like, not oh. be like not having this show continue as a, as a, as a teenager, right? Because by then you must've been like 13. I was 15 when it ended. I was 15 when it ended. Um, cause we went for, with the, with the filming and stuff, we went for about two and a half years. Um, but it was, it was hard. It was, oh my gosh, devastating. At the time there was nothing worse that could have happened, especially to us new ones. Cause we were just kind of starting. We felt like we were just like, we had found our footing. We weren't the new kids on the block anymore, but we were like, you know, and also it didn't make any sense. It was the number one show on Disney. And I always say, it's always interesting. I've been in this business long enough to have experienced many networks experiencing a changing of guards at the top with a network. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I will tell you, it's remarkable how many times they come in and cancel number one shows. It's like blows my mind. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I am of the the mindset like if I came in and took over a network, I'd be like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if like people are, if if a show is number one, you don't cancel it. But I have been on the other side of that happening happening at several networks, and it's really it's it's mind blowing how that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened with um, Mickey Mouse Club. And what an unfortunate thing, because that show could have gone on for so many, 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 many more years. And it could have even been, I mean, I see what my seven-year-old's into. 
<laughs> and um, I could see her being super into that. I mean, yeah. it would even be relevant now just with like, you know, all the comedy. I, I don't know. I just also- I find that I find that so interesting. And also just at the age of 15, being a girl, um, you know, a teen, finding your happy place, finding your fit. And then the, the letdown of being like, well, why is this happening? You know, like I'm, this is successful. And then you, your life then, like, I think you said you've been the business 30 years of knowing that you have, like, there's so many ebbs and flows. Ron, my husband went through, he was on a very successful TV show. Same thing. They canceled it. Like all the fans were writing in yeah, and they were like, why are you canceling this? And it's just like, that's what happens. It's part of the business, right? It's so part of the business. And I think it was my first lesson in like, life's just not fair sometimes. And also um, disillusionment is a really hard lesson to learn. And especially when you have to learn it at a really young age. Um, Mm. But it was also my first lesson in that. And I have to say, you know, throughout my whole life, um, I used to look back and think, wow, did like, especially because all of my you know, peers that came out of that, so many of them became not just like successful, but like some of the most successful people in this industry. And I kept looking around going like, well, did like, what happened? Like, did God forget about me? You know, I know I worked as hard as everyone else. Like, why am I having to constantly like fight for my meals? And Mm -hmm. it seems like it's just like happened for everyone else. Like, you know, it just like was all laid out. It just happened. And when I look back now, I, I can tell you, I would not be the person that I am today had I not experienced a whole lot of failure in my life. And, and I don't mean failure in like a bad way. I mean, just things not happening that you want to happen or dreams not coming true that you fight really hard for or shows ending that, you know, were dreams come, you know, that actually came to fruition. Um, I've experienced it so much and just the humility that comes with constantly being reminded that like nothing is for sure. <laughs> and, and, and what, what goes up must come down. Yeah. Right. And- I honor you and look up to you so much because of all the things like it, that you are doing with your life now are all shaped by the struggles and the years. I mean, I know so many actors I've been in Los Angeles, 20 plus years. A lot of our friends are actors and, you know, musicians or whatever. And the the people that I see continue to work and have gone through hard things. I am always the most impressed by because Now, a lot of times like child actors end up, you know, having real issues with mental illness and, and like issues with not being able to deal. Whereas it's like for you, I think the struggles and the ebbs and the flows probably made you the way that you are today and why you're so successful in doing so many different things, especially for others, which I'm a huge, huge Mm -hmm. believer in. And I think that's what life's all about. It's like, I say it all the time. Be happy by making others happy. My dad used to say service to me. Yeah, heart. yeah. Yeah. Service driven heart. And I believe that that's, I believe that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. I am not put on this earth to have an acting to career. That's just what I do. And I'm very lucky to be able to do it, to write, to produce, to act. What I am put on this earth to do is to serve others. 
that's what I learned later. I love you. You're my best friend. We're hanging out. (laughs) No, I mean, I think it's so true that um, the hardships and and I talk about it every podcast. I've been, I'm 40 plus episodes. I'm a year in the hard things in my own personal life. Like the worst times that all the loss I've gone through, if I wouldn't have gone through all of the SHIT that I've gone through in my life, like I would just be here living in like, you know, I live by the beach and carrying my designer bag and not knowing like, oh, like what party are we going to this weekend? And that stuff matters so little when, you know, in the, in the, in the large scheme of things, it's all about doing the right thing, life lessons, but let's shift a little bit because I want to talk about you and, and like, kind of like you were in, how did, did you end up once it was canceled staying in Los Angeles or did you go back East? So the, well, when, by the time I was on the show, it was filming in Orlando. And um, after Orlando, actually I did go to Los Angeles. The, the acting instructor who was on Mickey Mouse Club um, was like, you really need to come to LA for pilot season. And he was such a great support and so kind because he really encouraged me as an actor. He was like, you have a talent. You really do have a gift here. And I think that you would do really well. And so because of him, actually, <laughs> I did come to LA with my grandmother. I came for my first pilot season. I didn't even know what that was. And I actually ended up booking a pilot and working and I stayed out here until working, um, until I was 17. And at that time, um, you know, uh, you asked about Justin, just so Justin's family, um, to me, he's, you know, like my brother, I have a actual blood brother, but Justin's also my brother, brother and his mother practically like raised me and was my guardian tell him for like sexy, half of my life. Tell him Sexy Back is my favorite song of all time. I'm just going to add that really quick. Sorry. Oh, I just <laughs> I just absolutely love him. He's, he's such a, oh gosh, he's just such a sweet, wonderful I human. love hearing that. Such That's really friend. nice to hear because you, as oh, we listen, both I'm know. not friends with people. Yeah. I am not friends with people who are a-holes. Yeah. Like I can tell you right that I have no time for that in my life. He is such a wonderful human being and his wife is just, oh my gosh, I love them both so much. They're like the best of the best. I love and, hearing that. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Well, his instinct was really starting to take off whenever I was 17 and Justin's mom wanted to put together a girls group. And so I, I packed up all my stuff in LA and went across country, even though it's again, one of those things where like my, my entertainment lawyer at the time, cause I was doing really well as an actor out here, um, when I was younger and basically my entertainment lawyer was like, if you go do this in the music business, you will be committing financial suicide. This is the worst contract I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, sign me up. I'm going to the music business. Uh, if I could go back in time. If I could go back in time, because it was as beautiful as that experience was in so many ways. Like, you know, I got to play Madison Square Garden. How incredible. I got to tour all over Germany and Austria and Switzerland and all over the United States of America on tour with NSYNC and Britney. And like, oh it my was God. crazy, but it was This awesome. is insane. I know. I want, when I come back in, the na- in my next life, God, if you're listening, I want to come back as Nikki or I just want to be like a backup <laughs> dancer. But go on. 
Proceed. Just be the backup dancer, I promise. It's so much more fun. It's less responsibility. You just get to have fun and go to the clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it was the darkest, hardest uh, career experience I've ever had in my life. And, you know, if I wouldn't have met my husband in that world, um, it's one of the things that I, I would have, like, if I could have taken it back and never gone through it, I, I, you know, people say, I have no regrets. I'm like, who can say that they have no regrets? I have regrets. Like I regret going to be in the music business when it literally like destroyed so much of my life doing that. And why though? Was it because you were like lonely on the road? Like what, why did, why was it no, so hard? It was, well, Lou Perlman. Oh, was that our, was your man. You know, okay. Okay. And by the time we were experiencing a lot of success, all of his illegal activities mm-hmm. had come up mm-hmm. and out. So we lost our record contract with RCA Records because um, no one wanted to work with Lou. I mean, which understandably. And, you know, my spidey senses went off the whole time I was there. But I was also a 17-year-old girl who, you know, was like, when else am I going to get an opportunity to go be in the music business? Um, but it did. It, it, it financially bankrupt me. It emotionally bankrupt me, and it was a it was a creative wound that took me probably ten years to actually truly get over um, and heal. And um, so, if I did, if I could go back, I would not have chosen that path. But I did meet my husband there, and I've been with my husband. We've been married for eleven years, and we've been together for twenty one. And, I have too. Um, I, that's exactly like yeah, my husband and I have been together 21 and we've been married 11. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I love oh, that. I love you, yeah, I love it. 10 years yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> so that's so funny. We do have a lot in common. Um, so yeah, like that was the, the, the nugget of goodness that I was able to take from that experience. And, um, you know, but it took a long time to really rebound from that. And it's, it's a really good lesson. It's a hard lesson to learn at a really young age that when that intuition is speaking to you and saying, Hmm, something feels really off here. Listen to it every single time. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I do have young listeners and that I know, listen, and I have a few that are like, message me because I live in Los Angeles. You know how you get those messages yeah. and they're like, you live in LA. Yeah. Do you know it? And you're like, um, but, but listen to what Nikki's saying, please. If you have the, like, if you're a kid and you're pushed into the business or you're in the business and you have weird vibes, I know being an actress when I was young, moving here, I, not, I sadly, I didn't have the success that you have had or anyone else has had, but, and I quit and went into sales and it's a long story. But anyway, um, I remember being young and not listening to myself and being like, should I be in this room right now? Like, this is weird and I'm uncomfortable. You need to listen to your gut. And I know you're a mom. It's the same thing. We have these like instincts and as women, Mm -hmm. they're really strong and you really need to like tap into them and know Listen, we all make mistakes in life. It's part of life. The mistakes that we make in life make us who we are today. So, yeah, but it's so true. But I would say if that is one of the biggest nuggets that I could give my kids is really empowering them. And it's not even just listening to the voice in your head. It's pay attention to your body. Mm -hmm. Like for me, 
you know, I love that you do a podcast on trauma because I think it is the future of mental health is really digging into trauma Mm -hmm. because we are a country that doesn't want to acknowledge it. We don't, we just want, you know, we think because like it's, we still live in that, like pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of society and mentality, which is so detrimental and unhealthy. And it's not strong. We have a very, very twisted idea of what being strong looks like in our society. And actually the strongest people I know are the most vulnerable people that I know, but it's all about listening to your body. Your body is talking to you all the time. If the hair on the back of your neck stands up, if um, you get this like feeling in the pit of your stomach, if your throat starts to close up a little bit, if you start to race with anxiety in your body, all these are signs and they're, and your body is trying to talk to you and tell you something. And so for my kids, we actually have those conversations. My son will say, my, my almost eight-year-old, he'll say, mom, I'm experiencing anxiety. And I'll say, well, where, where do you feel it in your body? And he'll say, I feel it in my throat and I feel it in my chest. And then we'll talk about that. Like, what were you thinking or what was happening at that time that that where you started to feel that in your body? And we really have those conversations of honoring your body because we are taught that our bodies are not safe in this country. You're not skinny enough. Mm-hmm. You're too, you know, mm-hmm. too heavy or you're not heavy enough or, you know, you're uh, not black enough or you're too black or you're not white enough and you're too like, you know people tell us and send us messages all day long about our not enoughness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the ways in which we're not normal or we're not right. So we're taught at a very young age or trust the outside, trust the outside voices, right? And our body is the safest place that we can be in, period. So for me, I would love to see parents talking to their kids about their body and what their body feels like and empowering them inside their body. Because man, when you start pulling that self-worth from that place, nobody can interrupt that. I want you to be my mom because I'm joking. (laughs) No, because I, I'm a mom too, like you. And I want to go back, back a little bit, but I also want to touch on what you're saying. So I don't do that with my kids and I have two little girls and I think it's so important to do what you're saying. I don't do that. And that's something that I think you need to work on to check in with your kids. And, um, wow. I wanted to ask, so your husband, was your husband in a band too, or was he, he was, he was in a boy band. Oh my God. He was. I'm obsessed. I know. Which which boy band was he in? (laughs) What boy band was he he in? He was in a boy band called Take Five. Oh my God. I remember um, Yes, yeah, I, I know. That. They were. What was your What was really your well. band called? Oh, it's called um, Innocence, spelled with S's. Don't even ask. It was given to us. We didn't get to pick our name. It makes no sense. Is it like that show, but, Girl? Have you seen Girls Five Eva? The the. Oh, I almost. I was so close to getting one of the roles. Oh my god! I wish you would have put together. Megan, you should have seen my audition tape. I'm going to send you my audition because I decided to do, I decided to produce this whole thing. And I wrote like a voiceover intro in the voice of Tina Fey. Oh my God. (laughs) Where, and I was like, 
My name is Nikki DeLoach, and I was in a one-hit wonder girl band called Innocent, spelled with S's. And it's like over all the images of me, and, and like, and the character that I auditioned for was a girl who was in a boy uh, in a girl band who ended up marrying a boy in a boy band, and was like literally it's legit. Bu- my it's story. busy Phillips. Like, yeah, it's busy Phillips' character. Yes. yes. Oh my god. It is. And. So I did the first round and they loved my tape. And so then they sent me more scenes and I produced and did a whole other round of like stuff. And I got really, really close, but you know, they had um, made an offer to busy Phillips for that. And her offer went through. And so she got it, but you know, I was like, I, I, that was actually another like real heartbreak for me because I was like, I went into that just to talk about vulnerability. I went into the place of like, this is my life story. You're telling my life story, yeah. and like and you're not even putting me in it. You and know, meanwhile, like, like great job, people? Megan. I'm bringing up uh, the worst like story that I could bring up, but oh. I mean, I'm like, oh, that's the best no. show ever. My husband, like, there's shows that he hasn't gotten, like that he was like, oh, like it was like between him and one other guy, and I'll be like, oh my god, I love that show. He's like, don't even talk about it. Don't bring it up. Do not ever talk about it again. I mean, I, so I understand how that is. And I, but I think if there's another season, Tina Fey, I'm sure you're listening to my podcast. You need to bring Nikki on season two. I'm just going to say that. Um, I, I literally was like, I cannot believe that they would not cast me for this. It was one of those though. Like I walked away and I was like, you know what? Actually they're lost. Totally. Huge. Like I did really walk away like heartbroken, but at the same time I was like, they're lost because also think about the wealth of stories that they could have pulled from, from me of like just what I had gone through in the industry. Like I have years and years and years and years of stories being in the music business. And I was like, you know what? Bad mistake guys. Like bad mistake. Well, I mean something there's a, like we talk, have talked about on the podcast there's a reason it happened and there's a reason why you didn't get oh, sure. it and it sucks and it's super painful. And you're like, this blows, like, why is this happening to me? But there's a reason why it happened. Um, I, I want so I want to ask though. So you and your husband got, were together. You then were in LA and then how did that go? So you were, you ended up together, you were dating, you, then went into yes. So tell me what happened. I, I went in. I actually because I was completely broke after the industry, music industry, and so was he. We went. We moved. I moved back out to LA, and he came with me the second time around. And I went to community college for two years. I was still under the contract with Lou, and he would not release me. And his terms of being released from him were that I had to sign a confidentiality agreement, which I was like, you know what? You've already ruined my career. Like, I'm going to talk about you for the rest of my life. I'm not giving that to you. You will not silence mm-hmm. me. So, um, and the other one was uh, he would get a percentage of anything that I did. So whether it was acting or whatever, he would get a percentage. And I was like, you've already destroyed my career. Like, I'm going to have to rebuild from scratch. I'm not giving you anything. Yeah. And um, so I went to community college and I waited out the like the whole two and a half years of my contract that was still on there. I just waited it out, went to community college. I got my 
you know, I was a sociology and uh, sociology and psych major. I was a double major. And um, it was the best thing I could have ever done because it really like satiated my appetite for, for being a seeker and a learner. And it's still to this day, one of my favorite things about me is that I can, I'm so interested in learning and it changed my life to go to college. And it was something I always wanted to do. And, um, and so it, and, and by the way, the, the way the universe works, I, on the, and my husband went to law school. So on the end of that two and a half years, my contract ends Five days after my contract ended, I got an audition for a show called North Shore. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even going to go on the audition because I wasn't in that headspace. I was going to go on to get my degree in psych and social sociology. And I was going, I wanted to be a psychologist for, um, uh, I wanted to go into areas that were, um, uh, whether it was poor areas or people that didn't have access to mental health care. And I wanted to go and be able to help and be there for people because mental health is so expensive. It's ridiculous. Mm. And it should be included in our health insurance. It should be, Don't you know, get me paid started. for. Don't get me started. Oh, I can't, like, I, it's such a platform that I'm going to stand on my soapbox and I'm going to ring that bell as long as I can. I, I, um, it, but, it breaks my heart. And a lot of my guests that have come on this podcast, we talk about it. Like people can't afford health care. They can't afford mental health um, right. care. And if, yep. and if we could, you and I both live in Los Angeles. Maybe we wouldn't have our issues with all the homeless people, but don't get me started because I could take another yeah, hour talking about that. If we actually took care of people. And I, so that's the thing I really learned, uh, you know, in college that like the measure of a good society is really how well we take care of our most vulnerable. And we are failing in a lot of areas. We're failing really badly because our society is a society that puts money and power first mm -hmm. over humanity, mm -hmm. really and truly. Um, and, 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 and until we can switch our priorities as a country, until the leaders can really switch their priorities and make humanity the number one concern outside of like money and power, like until that happens, we're going to continue at the pace that we are and it's detrimental to everyone. But so I really, it was, it was so good for me to press pause on, you know, especially being a kid that grew up in this industry to go and be in the real world and the real world of like not having any money and having to like cut coupons to eat and not being able to buy produce because I didn't have the money to buy produce and try and going to community college and volunteering at places and do like that really anchored me into the real world, which I think has fed me for the rest of my life. It, it always brings me back to like, cause you can in this business, like really get caught up in like, you know, red carpets, which I hate, or like, me you know, being on a hit show or going to the parties and thinking that that is your worth. And that is not your worth. Going to an awesome party does not make you a better person. Being on a hit show does not make you a better person. Going like none of those things actually make you a better person. And so it was this like really important turning point in in me, Nikki, my life of never forgetting at any point in time what actually is really important in life. Well, I think I think too people. that so many young actors, if they're if they're 
they are on a hit show like you were, whatever it be. And then they just don't go to school and they don't educate themselves. And then they're like, oh my God, I have to wait tables or like bartend because I don't have a backup plan or I don't have like any other interests. I see it so often. You know, I sometimes I'm like, oh my God, like if I wouldn't, what if I would have kept auditioning? Like I wouldn't be able to like have the life that I do now. And same thing with my husband who's like, you know, he's still acting, but he's in real estate. Like, was he going to be bartending till he was like 60 years old? So I think it's so important. Yeah. 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 It's, it's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give actors when they're young and they don't like Mm -hmm. it. They really don't like it when I give this advice, but I say, find other things that bring you joy and let acting like I'm not saying don't focus on it. I'm not saying don't pursue it. Don't hone your craft and take that craft seriously. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is find other things that bring you joy and other things that you can make a living doing. Because if your whole existence and your bank account is dependent on making it just as an actor, Mm -hmm. that's a whole Mm -hmm. lot of suffering that you are going to experience. And I wish I would have learned that, you know, even earlier in my career that we can do a whole bunch of different things. And like now, like I do a whole bunch of other things and acting is just like, yes, it's a job that I have, but it's one of the jobs that I have. And it's made my life a whole heck of a lot happier. Yeah. What I'm skipping ahead a little bit. I really wanted to touch on, I know that you do like, a lot of Hallmark movies. And I love this story. Um, I read it somewhere about you where you did started doing Hallmark movies because of your grandmother. Is that true? Yes, <laughs> I did. Which I love. I think that's oh, amazing. Thank you. Yes. She, um, she wanted me to do a Hallmark Christmas movie. Uh-huh. I was on a show called Awkward at the time. And so I said to my agent, I said, do you mind like calling over to Hallmark? I don't like, and seeing like, if that's a possibility or if it's something that, you know, if they would have me or want me. And next thing I knew, I got an offer to go do my first Hallmark Christmas movie. And I can tell you right now, I've worked my whole entire life, but there has never been anything that I've ever done that my grandmother and my community, like back yeah. home, my community black year, has ever loved more than the Hallmark movies that I make. And well, they it's, suck it's, you it's in. like, I've never done anything else. They suck <laughs> you in. I'm like, I'll be like flipping channels and I'll be like, oh my God. Like, and then it's just like, I'm sucked in. Like I said, and I'm like drinking like a buttery Chardonnay on the sofa. Like they're just that's like right. positive and happy. And I think that's why people yes. love them so much. Cause it's like, yes. it's an escape as to like all the stuff that's happening in our world right oh. now. That's so scary. Right. My biggest thing that I tell people, like I'll say this to my mom, I'll be like, turn the news off. Yes. Like, you know, because even last year I experienced watching the news all the time Mm. in quarantine. And next thing I knew, I was like, I'm so angry all the time. And I was like, oh, I have to turn the news off. Like, and be very careful about where I get my information and my media and this and that, like, because of the fact that like, it has, it is, we have, I don't know if you saw the daily show did, um, a really funny skit about it. That Desi I was saw, a part I of. I think it's the one that and I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
where, you know, um, but they were talking about like how news is delivered in other countries. And it's like, today we are discussing this and da, 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 da. And this is what's happening to the news today. Everybody have a great Tuesday. Thank you for tuning in. And then in America, it's like, bum, bum, bum. the world is coming apart and everything is horrible. And, da, 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 da. and like, it's, it's so fear inducing. So I think for people, what they're yearning for really is a happy ending. Mm-hmm. They're yearning for something mm-hmm. that doesn't give them anxiety, something they can watch with their entire family. Um, you know, like that's what they want to see and that's what they want to feel. They want to be able to check out and and just like watch something that makes them feel happy and to be able to be a part of that is really cool. I love and I love that you do that and I wish I could like touch on like every aspect of your career cuz I'm obsessed with it. But I really I want to talk about all the good that you're doing and I also want to talk mm-hmm. about your dad. And I'm so sorry to hear that he was so young. I mean, that's like my best friend from growing up. One of my best friends, Kara, her dad, same thing. Um, it's a, it's a, such a scary, hard thing to go through. My aunt recently passed away over the summer in July. And mm. she had, she, we, we, she wasn't diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but she had dementia. And we watched her, oh, we watched her um, slip away, you know, like you, it's a, it's, I believe that it's maybe one of the worst ways, not for them to go because they don't really know what's happening, but for us to slowly yeah. watch a human being like lose themselves and they're not there. And it's like, they're just like a shell of themselves. And it's so painful to, to see. And, um, and I haven't, it's really, I haven't had an episode where, because Kara's too, doesn't want to come on and talk about it. And then Carter, my other friends who also lost her father, you know, they're not ready, but I think it's really brave that you're able to talk about it. And, and if, if you don't mind touching on what, what it was like to go through that pain of, of losing your dad that way. Absolutely. I talk about it because, you know, after my first son, this is where the living out loud yes. started happening because after my first son, I had suicidal postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. And when I was trying to find information or people talking about it and people being interviewed, I found one person, which is Brooke Shields, who then got attacked by Tom Cruise when she opened her mouth. Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise was like, that's not what you have. You're not. The, and if you just did this and you did that. And I was like, oh, whoa this is why women don't talk about it. Right. And what it did. And I started talking about it, what I was going through. In fact, the first time I was on home and family, which was a Hallmark morning mm-hmm. show, my, I agreed to go on the show if I could talk about my postpartum anxiety. And, um, and part of that is because women are going through this or people are going through hard things and they're feeling so isolated and alone inside of their pain. And I, if I can be a part of talking, if my story and talking about my story can help somebody else not feel alone or isolated, I'm going to talk about it every single day. And so for my dad, you know, I, um, when I was pregnant with Bennett, um, my youngest, we found out that he had four heart defects. He was in my belly. He was, we, we were five and a half months at the time. And in the same month, I found out that my dad was diagnosed with Pick's disease, which is a rare and aggressive form of dementia. Mm-hmm fatal. Um, 
and in the same month. So I was like, oh, I can lose, I could potentially lose my child and I am 100% going to lose my dad pretty quickly. And, um, and it, and I have to say like the, the whole road of it has been so traumatic because, you know, I had to, at all of these junctures, when I knew that I didn't have a lot of time left with my dad, I had to choose my baby who was born and at five days old had his first heart surgery. And then he was in the hospital for a month and then he came home on oxygen and I couldn't get to my dad. And then by the time that like Bennett got off oxygen and I was able to travel, you know, I got to go and see them. And then Bennett, of course, gets sick on the flight. And for 10 days, we're in and out of ERs and in in Georgia because of his heart condition. And then he has to have another surgery and I still can't get back to my dad. Like, so for the whole time that I was just desperate to get back to my dad and spend that time with him, I was having to keep my son alive, which is, you know, I would choose that every single time. And my dad would want me to choose that, but I missed out on all that time because I had this other insanely traumatic experience that I was going through with my baby. And then finally, when we got Bennett's heart, three heart surgeries later to a good place, COVID happened. And then yet again, I couldn't get to my dad. And, you know, I finally, when I got vaccinated and my dad got vaccinated, and at this point he was in a facility and I could get to him, we, my amazing husband, we rented an RV. We drove across country because I was like, I'm not, we're not staying at hotels. This was like really scary, yeah, scary, yeah. scary. COVID, yeah. And yeah. And we drove across country and I went to see him for the first time. And, you know, you said the thing of like, they're not there. Right. I think the thing that I have learned the most inside of this is they are there. They are there because of their soul. Mm-hmm. And I had had experiences with my dad that are transcendent, that are beyond the body. Yes, he couldn't look me in my eyes and tell me my, the name, my name, Nikki, but he knew exactly who I was. The first day when I got to the facility and I was sitting with him and my mom had kept saying like, you know, he doesn't know us. Like he has no idea. So like, it's, you know, it's fine that you haven't been here and all of that. And I'm like, Hmm, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. And I landed and saw my dad for the first time. And I was sitting with him and I said, dad, do you know who I am? And he was looking at me and he, I could tell he was searching to try to find the name. And I said, look at my hands. I was like, cause I have my dad's hands mm-hmm. and I showed him my hands and I said, I have your exact hands. And he took my hands and he took a finger and he traced the top and he traced the inside. And then he put his hand up like this. And I put my hand next to his and we just held our two palms together. And then he looked at me and a smile crossed, came across his face. And I said, you know who I am, don't you? And he nodded his head. Oh. And... Two weeks later, I know, two weeks later now, two weeks later, I have to go back to LA. We have to return this RV that we rented. I am having an insanely difficult time saying goodbye to my dad. And I am crying and he gets me into the truck and he shuts the door finally. And I am sitting in the car and I'm sobbing so hard and he knocks on the window and then he puts his hand up to the window, just like he did 
two weeks prior when we were sitting together. And then I put my hand up to his. So let me tell you this. That's a man that doesn't know what happened 10 seconds before any moment. He has no short-term memory. You want to tell me how he knew? His soul. I love that. I love that. I love that you say it that way because it's so true. And it's so, uh, it's an, it's amazing. And, and I, I love that. It's, it's amazing. Like I was there when he took his last breath. That was, I, I, and, and even getting to him was like, you know, something out of a movie. Um, it was, I mean, I wrapped, I had to, I, I was in Georgia visiting him for three weeks and then I had to go to Connecticut to do a movie and I wanted to back out. I didn't want to go because I, once I got to Georgia and I realized like how just like we are on the tail end of this thing with him. Um, I tried to back out and I, I mean, I produced it. My writing partner and I, we produced it. We co-wrote it. We like, I was starring in it. Like I, you know, so I, I went to do the movie. I wrapped at like 4 a.m. I got home at 4.30 in the morning. I went to bed at five, couldn't sleep, woke up to a text from my mom. You need to get here ASAP. I, the, I managed to get the one flight out to get to my dad. And I landed at 11 o'clock at night, or I got to him at 11 o'clock at night in Jacksonville, Florida, which is where he was. And I spent two hours and 11 minutes. He died at 1.11. And I watched his soul leave his body and I, he was still there. He was with us, but I watched his soul. And if you've ever seen somebody take their last breath, like you said, like you understand that that soul lives on and that we are in these like meat, you know, these meat like bodies of just bones and muscle and all of that, which we're so grateful for because they keep us going and you walk and you exercise and you get to like live in this world and your body. But like that soul is always there. And I think it's so important for anyone to know when they are on the tail end of a life with someone that they love and they think that they're not there. They think that they're gone. Look past the body, look past the mind and just connect to the soul because they know. Do you, do you, I have to ask this because I ask it pretty much every podcast. Do you believe in signs? Do you have a sign that your dad's with you? Cause I, uh, Oh, I mean, everyone well, has a sign. Mine are butterflies. That's how I know my my best friend who passed is with me. What What is the sign that you know your dad's with you? So there's a bunch of different okay. ones. He talks to me through music because we were so bonded. Music was a love language for us. So like any of the music that we used to listen to together, like the last day I just went to do this other movie and the last day of filming, I walked into the hair and makeup trailer. And the second I set my butt down in that hair chair, James Taylor's You Got a Friend came on and my dad and I danced to it at my wedding. We danced to it at my wedding. It was one of our songs. We played it at his funeral. Um, But like the second I set my booty in there, but also, you know, when I went to Canada this time, my kids couldn't go because of COVID and I've never been away from my kids that long. And it's something that I never would have done, but I had not had really time to like really grieve him because life had been so busy and we were in Minnesota and the Montana and back to LA and we moved into a new house. And I had a script deadline that we had to do. And I had a movie to get ready for There was just so much work and so much stuff. 
I knew that I needed to go and do this. And on the 10th day of being up there after 10 days of spending every night in an earthquake of grief. And, you know, I say like when people run away from pain, right? Because they don't want to feel it. The truth is, is you're running away from healing. Mm -hmm. You're running away from your healing. But we think like, well, it shouldn't feel this bad. It can't be good for us if it feels this bad. It's like, no, you have to trust your body. You have to trust that you can walk through that valley and that inside the darkness, right? It's just as important as the light, but we're such a society that's so focused on being in the light all the time, right? And it's like the darkness is equally important because that's where the transformation and the healing happens. And that 10th night, of being on my knees in grief, talking to my dad and praying of like, you know, what am I doing in Canada? Why am I here? This feels so bad. Please send me a sign. And I went through my head of all the different signs. And I asked, I finally landed on 222 because it was, it means you're, you're, it's an angel number that means like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Keep going, Mm -hmm. keep going. So we landed on that and I told my dad to send me that. And the next day I went to set, we were, you know, it was afternoon. We were like on scene three or whatever. And this woman, her name was Ruth, who was a transport driver. She's transportation. Out of nowhere, she sends me this text. It's a screenshot of 222 because the time had said 222 on her iPhone. She took a screenshot and she sent it to me and said, um, I know I'm not supposed to be texting talent, like personal things, but something told me that you really needed to see this. And so I wanted to send it to you. She had no idea what I had asked my dad for. She had no idea. So when I I left set to go to her in tears and I threw my arms around her and I said, you have no idea. You have no idea. And I told her the story of what I asked for my dad. And she was like, I don't know how to explain it. She's like, I've never done that before. I've never. And it, you know, she's this beautiful, incredible human who also lost her dad. And she's like, I just saw it. And I was like, there was this giant, huge voice in my head that says, you have to take a screenshot and send it to Nikki right now. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, that's an, un- I mean, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause you, so there's no such thing happened. as coincidences. I mean, there's so many, I mean, no. I've interviewed 40 plus guests now and the stories and the signs that I, you have to, you have to know that they're there. I mean, that's the thing. That's a miracle that they're always kind of with us. And, and what you just said, I'm going to say really quickly, you know, you can, you have to go through grieving as a human. It's part of like, it's part of the process of being a human. It's part of loving. And if you don't want to go through grieving, I've gone through many losses in my life and at several different ones, you deal with them in different ways. And I will tell you the times that I haven't wanted to grieve and I've escaped in different ways, it always catches up to you. So like it, you have oh, to let yourself 100%. do it. You ha- It's part of the process. And if you don't let yourself heal, it's, it's going to come back and haunt you. It always will. 
it will turn into disease in your body or it will turn into rage in your behavior. It'll turn into impatience. It will change you. It'll shift you in ways that you're not going to be happy with. And it is part, like you said, I like for me, it is the way that you honor somebody that you loved. Mm -hmm. And our society really doesn't know how to grieve. Like we don't know how, you know, I had a, somebody that was, it's very, very, very close to me who basically said, you know, two weeks after my father passed, who looked at me and said, the quicker you get over that, the easier life is going to be. And I looked at this person who I've known for so for 20 something years of my life and was like, well, first of all, I want to put my hands around your throat Mm, right now, because like, what an, what a really insensitive thing to say to somebody who's in grief, but it comes from this attitude of like, we're just supposed to get over things and we're just supposed to go on with it. And we're just supposed, and it's like, that's not true. Whoever said that, like, it's not actually what we're supposed to do at all. And the amount in which we love somebody is going to be reflected in the grief that we have for that person. And also the trauma, like, it is traumatic to lose somebody. It is so shocking to the system. If we don't learn to deal with our trauma, like that is, if I was to say, if there was one thing that we could do as a society to start to turn everything around, it is dealing with our trauma. I agree. Because it's um, so- I could talk to you literally for five and a half hours. This could be like, it could be like a documentary, I think. Um, but I want, we have to do it I know, again, but I right? want to talk really quickly before we close about just a few other things, the fugitive safe surrender. I know that that's something that you're, can you talk of touch on that? And then I also want to, yes. if people want to um, reach out to you or find more information um, about ways that they can get involved in things that you're doing. Um I would love for you to share that information as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. So Fugitive Safe Surrender is a program that um, my writing partner and I, we have been blessed enough to to, to be given this story. And um, it was a program that started actually in Ohio that was adopted in New Jersey. Um, it was, uh, there was a, a handfuls of people who were responsible for making this happen. But Jim Plusis, who it was a U.S. Marshal, who is now the US, head of the U.S. Marshal for New Jersey, you know, Camden, New Jersey at the time was considered to be one of the most dangerous cities in the country. And, you know, they wanted to turn the city around. And what they realized in their research is that there's so many outstanding warrants and it's really getting in the way of people being able to live uh, like get a get a driver's license, have a job, have a second chance in life, and most of these warrants were financial, mm-hmm. right? They couldn't pay mm-hmm. the money for the traffic ticket. They couldn't pay the money for the child support. They couldn't pay the money. It's this cyclical nature of that we that exists in this country of like once something really you know, they always say like, you're one medical issue away from being bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Like, I believe that it's not even that anymore. We are one bill away from being bankrupt in this country because we, most people don't earn living wages. So this program was created in order to give people a second chance at life. So they got the church involved 
and they got pol- the police involved and then they got the U.S. Marshals involved and they created a program. They got judges to volunteer their time over a four day weekend and people could turn themselves in safely at the church. And if they turned themselves in and they sat across from a judge, that judge would figure out a payment plan, figure out some way for them to be able to rejoin society the way that they deserved to. And so this program was replicated five different times in the state of New Jersey. And at the end of it, they were able to give over 18,000 people second chances. And so my writing partner and I have been talking to you know, people whose lives were changed by being a part of this program and by being given a second chance at life. And I think that this is something that like, could you imagine how, first of all, how necessary it is? It has never been more necessary for us to have a program like this all over the country for people to be able to come and legit get a second chance. Um, Because as it stands right now, if you're incarcerated, you lose the right to vote and then you come out and then you're not really given a second chance at life, even though you did your time and you may be rehabbed. It's a very backward system because for the most part, I think about my life, how privileged I was to be born into the family that I did that had means to take care of me, means to send me to school, or I got to go live my dream. But a lot of people are born into poverty. A lot of people are born with a single mom that works three jobs. A lot of people are born into situations that are so different from many of us. And if the tables were turned, right? If the tables were turned, Would you not, how many times have you run a red light and you just paid the ticket? How many times did you roll through a stop sign and you just paid the ticket? Half of these people couldn't even pay the ticket and then there became a warrant out for their arrest. Like that is unacceptable. It's the stuff that we take for granted. 100%. Well, for right now we're doing our, you know, we're working on doing uh, an actual movie and a documentary about the program and what happened. And we're talking about it because we're looking for fugitives that will come forward and share their story with us because it did have, this happened so long ago. So in terms of that, you know, it's like spreading the word. If they know somebody that was touched, whether it's on the East coast in New Jersey or something like that, like, please DM me, let me know. And then outside of that, I think it's also, I speak about it because it's, It's like for me being a person of faith and I find it really interesting that a lot of people, especially, you know, you talk about the Bible Belt and how much people go to church there and how much people consider themselves to be Christian and people of faith. Yet they're the first to stand in judgment of someone who um, goes to prison or has a warrant or doesn't look like them or live like them or love like them. Or, you know, they're the first to stand in judgment of those people. They're the first to prosecute those people. And for me, that is completely antithetical to like what Jesus and his message was and how we are supposed to live in faith. Like love thy neighbor as thyself. That didn't mean love your neighbor who looks just like you and lives the life just like you and believes just like you. It means love your neighbor. A hundred percent. And I think, I think that like, you know, I go to church and I see the people sitting in the front row and I'm like, you're sitting in the front row, you're cheating on your wife. Like, that's not like, you can go to church all day long and preach whatever you're going to preach. But like going backwards to like our news being so skewed on both sides, it's like as a society, we really just need to like take a step back. And it's, it's, yes. it's about, I just, I feel like it's like this big giant snowball 
that's going down a hill and we can't stop it. And um, it's just so scary. So I love that you're doing this. I would love to learn more about it. I, what is your, what is your, I mean, I know you have 5 trillion followers on Instagram, but if somebody (laughs) wants to DM you, what is your Instagram so they can message you? So my Instagram, yes, Nick, N-I-K, Deloach, D-E-L-O-A-C-H on Instagram. That's what I'm on primarily. Um, please DM me, whether it's Alzheimer's or Children's Hospital. I'm a board member at Children's I Hospital. I saw that Angels. and I love that but, too because my daughter had surgery at Children's Hospital. We'll have to talk on la- offline about it and I love them and they're the most amazing, amazing place on the planet. But yeah. So please, uh, please follow me on Instagram. Um, if you're interested in Alzheimer's or you have someone that's affected, you know, I raise money constantly for Alzheimer's. I'm doing a walk on November 6th. You can join my team. You can donate. I want to join your team. Can I join? Join my I team. I want to join yes, the team, please. please. Um, and, and you can walk with me on, um, if you want to come and walk, um, Saturday, I'm getting a big group of people together. We will walk, we'll wear my mask. Um, and, um, and all the money goes to the Alzheimer's association. And here's why it's important is because, you know, there's the national Institute of health in this country. That is the government run agency. However, the red tape and all the different subjects that they have to take on, you know, a, a research study at the NIH could take. 15 years where the Alzheimer's Association, it could take two. Mm. So the money is goes directly into research and prevention um, research for Alzheimer's and dementia. And the numbers are only like literally when I say going up, they're quadrupling in the next like 10 years or so. So this is like a crisis that we actually have on our hands right now. And uh, I mean, it kills more people than prostate and breast cancer yeah. a year put together. And, um, and it's happening to people at much younger ages. So, uh, you know, it's also, my page is also about bringing awareness to things and talking about experts about how we can eat better or live a different life in order to help our brain health. So please follow me. You can join my team. You can walk, you can donate, and you can do it from anywhere in the country or the world. And then, you know, if, um, you are a person who is, uh, you know, affected by a child, like you said, having to go through surgery, or if you live in the Los Angeles area, Area, you can also follow me to find out information on CHLA, um, the greatest hospital that ever the existed in the history what, what? of <laughs> um, I, In closing, I literally could talk to you all day. Um, I feel like we are supposed to be friends and in each other's lives. But I really want to talk, like something that is so important to me is about, the, I, there's a lot of celebrities and people out in Los Angeles where we live or wherever it be that don't get involved and don't, don't live their lives to help others and do the right thing. And I'm not bad mouthing them, but you do have this platform. And I'm so grateful to you that you are the way that you are and you do the way, the things that you do, because you do matter and the things that you are doing matter. And I love your honesty and your transparency. And I am so, so grateful that you decided to come on my podcast. Thank you to Melanie, your awesome publicist who. It's just, she's great. I love her. I'm like telling so my husband. Shout out to Melanie. Shout out Melanie. Yes. And um, in closing, I just want to thank you. And I want to say, be happy by making other people happy. Thank you so much, Nikki. You're awesome. So I talk a lot about 
how therapy saved my life and how much I adore my therapist, Dr. Nay, who is reoccurring on the podcast. Not everybody can get an appointment with Dr. Nay, and sometimes therapy can be really expensive. Well, I have partnered with a service called online-therapy.com. They have plans that start at $30 a week, and you can get a weekly therapy session for less than $50 a week. They also take insurance, so you can get reimbursed by your insurance company for your your therapy session. You can also go to my website. For your first month, you'll get 20% off. So go to my, my website, judgingmegan.com, and look for the therapy tab. When you're on that page, you click on the link. You have nothing to lose. Please go to online-therapy.com if you are ready to get yourself into therapy. I swear by it. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.